0: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name's Joe. Uh, I uh, help run a mission group uh, here at Mosaic Church and my trade is education. That's right. T- I, love that. I love that. Yeah, I trade education. Not as good as Jonah though. Jonah, yeah, 24 hour edu- educator with no off switch. That- you can learn something from him right now, just just, just being in the room. Now, anyway, in June, there was a potential crisis in the land, a moment of desperation. We're talking DEFCON 3 on the American threat level. That means the planes will fly in 15 minutes, ready to scramble, by the way. Just check that this morning. Due to the extreme warm weather that the whole of Europe has been experiencing, supermarkets were nearing near to limiting the number of iceberg lettuces that they would be able to sell to you. Now, serious concern that the lettuce harvest would have suffered massively and there would be not enough supply to meet demand. It could have led to bulk purchases being prohibited in many supermarkets across the country, with people being restricted to three lettuces per visit. And that makes me think, what would happen if I bought four lettuces? You know, you go to the self-service till, and you're like beep, beep. You go for that fourth lettuce, and then the red light appears. You know, uh, we have we have to approve this. A colleague is on their way. What an awkward conversation that would be, wouldn't it? That I can explain. We're entertaining tonight. We're having fajitas. I panicked. Please, can I have the extra lettuce? Luckily, this apocalyptic lettuce vision has not come to fruition. Okay, I'll move on. On my tenuous link, we are looking today, our passage links to the concept of harvest. See, see what I did there? That's right. And what we're actually looking at, the passage that we're looking at happens at the Jewish fea- Jewish feast of the harvest. It's also known as the day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50, and the, fi- and the festival was held 50 days after. After the uh, Passover festival. Which means that this whole thing happens 50 days after the events of Easter. And so in Exodus chapter 23 verse 16. The Israelites were commanded by God to celebrate the feast of the harvest or Pentecost. With the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. In today's passage we see that God's timing is Perfect. And that when the Jewish nation was ready to celebrate the first fruits of their harvest, God was about to bring forth the first fruits of the new movement of God. Where 3,000 people are going to choose to follow Jesus at the same time. So let's set the scene. Jesus had died on the cross, risen from the grave after three days, and then taught his disciples, and then been seen by numerous people all over Israel before ascending to heaven in front of the disciples. It's been an eventful few weeks. And so before leaving, he tells the disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Sure enough, on the, feast, on the Feast of the Harvest or Pentecost, the Holy Spirit turns up in a big way. A violent wind from heaven fills the house that the disciples are in. Tongues of fire appear and come to rest on the heads of each of the disciples and they begin to speak in different languages. Now they must spill out onto the street and then they start engaging with the passers by. And there are thousands of people in Jerusalem, all in the city for the festival, all Jewish in belief. But the Bible tells us that there were at least 15 different areas of the known world represented where Jews had gone to different places, different parts of the kind of Roman Empire and, an, uh, and other parts of the world, kind of Babylon and Syria. But they'd all come back. And for the most part, they're astounded by this, this miraculous kind of moment. But also, the Bible records that there were some cynical members of the crowd, say so they have had too much wine. Now, I cannot think of a situation where too much wine makes you better linguistically. However, Jesus, yeah, and so we can get rid of that, can't we? But then Peter addresses the crowd. And we've got quite a long passage here, so stick with me, because it's all worth kind of get into grips with. We're at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to 41. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God... of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, by kneeling him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body will also rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, but nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out uh, what you see now, and what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, And be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord all on for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Cool. So, the first thing that really strikes me about this passage is the boldness of Peter. Who is this guy? When we first meet Peter in the Gospel of Luke, he's a fisherman because he hadn't been chosen to be a disciple. He wasn't following a rabbi or a teacher. He was making a living by catching and selling fish. And then one day, Jesus commandeers his boat for preaching. And then he blesses Peter with a miraculous catch of fish. Peter freaks out, recognizes Jesus is a true man of God. And he declares, go away from me. I am a sinful man. But Jesus sees the leader inside him and makes him a disciple. And Peter tries hard, doesn't he? He does his best, but he keeps on making mistakes. There's the transfiguration where Jesus meets Elijah and Moses on the mountain. And Peter starts talking about putting up tents because he he wants to say something good. And then there's the garden of Gethsemane where Peter falls asleep on the job of guard and then gets all head up and cuts off the ear of a temple guard. The trial of Jesus where Peter goes back on his promise to never leave Jesus. And even calls down curses on himself to protest that he doesn't know Jesus. And ends up a broken mess of a man because of his failure. But the Peter we find in Acts 2 is not the same man. It's not the sinful sailor on the shores of Lake Galilee. It's not the bumbling hothead ready to build shelters and make empty promises. And it isn't the man filled with fear and regret. No, this is Peter that Jesus saw, but no one else did. This is Peter, the leader, who is ready to, uh, to step up to follow in the footsteps of his rabbi, his teacher, Jesus. Peter has graduated from his three-year course in the University of Jesus. And although it's been tough at times, some modules are difficult to pass, but he is on fire here, literally. But that doesn't mean he was perfect from this point on. There is still plenty more for Peter to learn in his continuing journey with Jesus. Issues about Gentiles, food law, who to eat with, obedience. Peter was not the finished article, but he was walking with God every step of the way. And this gives me hope because I am not the finished article. You may be surprised to hear my wife, Helen, would be shocked at this revelation were she in the room. You see, I've got some friends that I grew up with and I love them and we've known each other for a long time but when we get together I struggle sometimes to be the person that I truly am in Jesus. I can fall into all ways of language, of behaviour, of attitude and I know at times I'm not fully reflecting the love that Jesus has shown me. I'm not fully walking in his ways. And if I let it, I can let that drag me down. I can let it disqualify me for living for God, from serving for the church. It can become a barrier between me and God to the point where I'm struggling to reach out to him. But our God is merciful. He was to Peter, he is to me, and he is to all of us. When I fall short of God's best, I recognize it, I confess it to him, and to those who I journey with, in my discipleship triplet. And I ask God for his forgiveness because it is God that I have let down. And I ask that God by his spirit, which lives in me, to help me not make those mistakes again. But I also rest assured in the knowledge that God's forgiveness does not run out. Just like Peter, we are on a journey with God. You are not here today by accident. God has called you and has a plan for your life, whether you recognize that and call yourself a Christian, or if you haven't got to that place just yet. God sees the potential in you. Jesus wants to make you a disciple so that you can go out and get involved in what God is doing around you. God wants you on his team, and if you let him, he will continue to build you up and make you the best that you could ever be. Jesus promises this, does he? he? says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So if you're new to Jesus or if you've journeyed with him for a long time, God still wants you on his team. He still wants to work with you. He still wants to keep bringing you on to the next new thing that he has in store. And so Peter Speaks powerfully, doesn't he? And he uses quotes from the Old Testament. One from the prophet Joel and then two from Psalms. Firstly, Psalm 16. And with the Joel quote, Peter is saying the signs that the disciples are are displaying have been waited for for a long time. The people of this generation in Israel were desperate for a saviour, for a messiah, an anointed one from God to come and free them from slavery and restore the kingdom. And God has given the nation promise after promise that he was going to do this. He was going to do something massive, something that would turn the world upside down or maybe even turn it the right way up. The people of Israel clung on to these promises from a range of Old Testament books. Isaiah, Daniel, Micah, Malachi to name a few, but also Psalms and Joel. And so when Peter stands up and quotes the book of Joel, the Jewish audience, although they're from from different places, they would have known exactly what Peter was talking about. Peter is saying the time is now. The massive thing that God has been planning, that we've been waiting for, well, it's here and you can get involved. And our ability to speak to you in this miraculous way is proof of this. And so Peter and the disciples are witnesses to what God has done through Jesus. And God is now pouring out his spirit like he promised he would to the prophet Joel. And everybody's invited because it says sons and daughters, young and old, servants and masters. There's no distinction, no disqualification. All you need is faith. God says through Joel, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter then goes on and explains how it is the life, death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth that has instigated this new age, when what Peter calls the last days. And Peter doesn't shy away from telling his audience that they had a part to play in the death of Jesus. But also, it was God's will that it happened, where perfect love meets great wickedness. But God uses evil against itself and brought salvation to the world through the death of Jesus. And Peter uses Psalm 16 as evidence of who Jesus is. But before we kind of jump into that, is Peter right to use the Psalms as as prophecy at all? Aren't they just a bunch of songs written about those times? Particularly, aren't David's Psalms just about his life? The simple answer is no. David, the king of Israel, was given a promise by God that one of his descendants would sit on the throne of Israel forever and so when David writes about himself and about his family he's also looking forward to his descendant yet to come this future king who God would install over Israel and over the whole earth these words refer to Jesus but also let's be clear as Christians we believe that all the Bible points to Jesus. Every part of it highlights how sin has infected the human race. It all shows why we need a saviour. It also tells us what he might be like. And it turns out it's exactly like Jesus. And Peter is in good company when using Psalms as prophetic writing. Paul does it. The, uh, the writer of Hebrews does it. And most importantly, Jesus does it. Hence our series And Peter then proves that David can't be talking about David in Psalm 16. It says, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your holy one or faithful one see decay. It's like Peter is saying, David's grave is, it's just round the corner. We can go now and dig him up if you like. He has seen decay, let me tell you. But Jesus, he didn't see decay. Because he conquered death and rose from the grave three days after he was murdered. And because of this, Jesus is the anointed one, the promised Messiah, who is the saviour of the world. The Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled by the disciples' testimony. And this resurrection of Jesus is now our resurrection. Because Jesus died and then rose from the grave, we can too. And this isn't a spiritual resurrection as if our bodies stay in the ground and our ghostly essence floats up to heaven. Jesus had a full bodily resurrection, a physical phenomenon where his body was dead and is now alive. And Jesus promises this in John chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will will never die. This is our very real hope. And it can be hard to visualize, but it is the core of the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we can have confidence that if we call on the name of Jesus and we declare him as our king, then we will not truly die, but have eternal life with God. And then Peter goes on to quote Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Psalm 110 was already considered a messianic text before Jesus arrived. And Jews used it as a prophecy of God's anointed king who would usher in God's kingdom and free Israel from captivity. And again, Peter makes it very clear that the psalm cannot be referring directly to David. Because David did not ascend to heaven. No, David died, was buried, and stayed very much in the ground. David did not ascend to heaven, but Peter and the rest of the disciples have just seen Jesus do this very thing. Acts 1 verse 9 says, He, Jesus, was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Peter is saying, this Lord who sits at the right hand of God, this is Jesus. Jesus is Lord and Christ. King and Saviour. And if we dig a bit further into Psalm 110, in verse 4, which isn't quoted by Peter, but it's certainly inferred by his quotation. It says, the anointed one is to be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was around at the same time as Abraham, and he's found in Genesis 14, verse 18. He was a king of a place called Salem, which was in Canaan. Uh, But he was also a priest of the Most High God. And so when David name checks Melchizedek, he's saying that God's anointed king, the coming Messiah, is a king and a priest all in one. Someone who has the authority to rule, but also the power to intervene with God on our behalf. This is Jesus the king priest, the sovereign ruler of the whole universe and the interceder who takes on our sins so that we are made acceptable to God. This is a big deal. It was, a, it was massive news to Peter's audience, but it's also massive news to us today. The crowd would have been well aware of Jesus. His fame had spread far and wide in the Jewish world. This Jesus, the famous rabbi teacher who gained popularity among the downcast of society, whose teaching was unlike any other rabbi in authority and wisdom, who God blessed with the ability to perform signs and wonders, healings and exorcism, was the same man who was controversially convicted of blasphemy, by the chief priests, sentenced to execution, then handed over to Gentile Romans for torture and crucifixion. Well, this Jesus is the one who all this prophecy was about. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed king priest, who rules and reigns with the authority of the Father, but also stands up on our behalf to take our punishment and atones for our sins as the perfect priest. And at the end of Peter's speech the text says when the people heard this they were cut to the heart and Peter and the other and they said to Peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do Peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins Peter instructs this massive audience That they need to repent, which means change direction, turn back. They need to change their minds about who Jesus is. He is not a blasphemer. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a rebellious rabbi. No, this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who has completed the biggest act of love the world has ever seen. Peter is saying... Change your thinking, and recognize Jesus as your King. And then, the baptism that He kind of He He calls them to uh, to submit to almost is is the outward display of this change. It's the public declaration of the inward decision to follow Jesus. It's the open symbolism of the removal of sin that has happened in our hearts. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. But it shows the world what God has done for you. And Peter's call hasn't changed. If today you've been challenged by these events in the book of Acts and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, God wants to, you to recognize him as your king, who has paid the price for all the ways that we fall short of perfect, who wants to heal you of the pain that has been committed against you. Who wants to restore your relationship with God and your creator. Repent. Change your mind about Jesus. Turn around and choose to follow him. And so, let's not miss this. Let's not miss the long and promised Messiah. The sacrifice that takes the sin of the world. Forgiveness and restoration is available today. And let's not miss the future that Jesus has bought for us. Resurrection and internal life are offered to us. This is the truth that we now live in. But also let's not miss that God is about the now and the future. God wants to work in your life today to build you up just like Peter. Our God is a loving father who encourages us every step of the way. And wants us to, to be the best that we could ever be to get alongside him as he brings his kingdom to earth. Now, uh, I've got a confession to make. I watched a lot of the World Cup uh, and I'm I'm still suffering from a kind of lack of football watching. And so uh, my brother's got Sky TV, TV, so I'm going to have to hang out with my brother a lot more than uh, I really want to. But anyway, uh, I watched a lot of the World Cup and uh, I, I got... Our family got tickets to go and see the Costa Rica game. It was the warm up game at Elland Road. Uh, and it was a fantastic atmosphere. We had you know, flags on our chairs. So there's loads of flags. <laughs> and uh, the, those flamethrower things that kind of singed in our faces. They were a lot hotter than I thought. We were, I'm in there somewhere. We weren't that close. And it was very hot. So, whatever the, the people in the front rows that might not have had any eyebrows. And uh, it was a fantastic atmosphere. And what was great was the singing was amazing. And there's this singing that kind of builds in volume as more and more voices kind of hear it and join in. I mean, it hurts to say it, doesn't it? But it's like, it's coming home. Like one person would just like sing it, it's coming home. And then all the voices start to join in. But it just needed that one voice to ignite it. And then you've got like 40,000 people. It's rising from the stadium. And as we've been studying the Psalms, we realize that the Psalms are the songs to God. Musical, poetic prophecies that have found fulfillment in Jesus. And it is our privilege, isn't it, to join in these songs that have echoed through the ages. Those songs are our songs and God has given them to us. Also, we want other people to join in, don't we? I invite you to dare to dream about who could join in these songs of praise with us. Who else might lift their voices in awe and wonder at what God has done for us through Jesus? I just invite the band back, of which I'm one of them. But I'm going to pray and we're going to think about what God has done for us. Think about our future in him. Think about how God is at work in us and building us up. But also thinking, who could be joining the song with us? Father God, we thank you for all the blessings that you've poured out on us. The blessings that you've poured out on us through your son Jesus. And how you promised to pour out your Holy Spirit. And I believe, Father, you continue to do that. Thank you. Father we pray that you would be on this journey with us building us up that we would be obedient to you and when we fall short God that we would run to you not away from you run to your loving arms Father we pray that you would give us confidence of your resurrection and of our resurrection in you and Lord that we'd see your identity who you truly are the Messiah the Messiah the saviour of the world and let us dream of those that would join in our song with us father god inspire us guide us in the words in our actions in our prayers in our prayer walking lord we want to see your kingdom come in our community we pray all this in jesus name amen